Hello, my name is Philip Mirton, and today we're going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now, here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Heaven at the End of Science, Philip Meriton. Now, the title of today's show is, Are We in the Mists of a New Thought Revolution? One of the most important books of the last century is a book entitled, The Structure of Scientific Revolutions. A big title, it sounds deep and dense, but there is one point in this book that anybody could grasp and understand and that is that our thinking the way we approach the world is done through paradigms and a scientific revolution is something that changes the paradigm which means changing the worldview changing the lens through which we see the world so today we're going to have a conversation on this very topic which is as I said are we in the midst of a thought revolution is thinking the next area where the scientific revolution will occur now I'm very happy to have as my guest one of the leading thinkers of our day and age her name is Diane Collins she is the author of the highly acclaimed two-time award-winning bestseller do you quantum think new thinking that will rock your world she is a popular media guest and speaker and she's been interviewed on a whole lot of radio and TV shows and she's also been a guest here a few times because she brings something to the table that I think nobody else brings and by the way she's got a philosophy degree from the University of Miami welcome to the show Diane great having you back thank you so much Philip and thank you for that lovely and uh, is I was going to say invitation, <laughs> an invitation for me to step into that uh, introduction. Thank you very much. Well, uh, well, great. I want to set the table here like we like we normally do, because what I think is important is that if there is going to be a revolution, a thought revolution, a change in the way people think everyone's going to have to have the opportunity of participating in it and that means to me that we're going to have to make people understand what it is that this revolution is all about and I know that you yourself have put a lot of thought into this and so I would like to start off by talking about this old world thinking versus new world thinking because in order to have a revolution or a change, we're going to have to understand what it is we're changing. So what, what is the old world thinking? Well, the, first of all, let me say that I, of course, concur 100% with you that not only is there, you know, and this is paradoxical, not only is there a new thinking revolution going on, I like to think of it as an evolution, uh, 
it has to go on. We, we must be able to think in a new way. And it really goes back to what I, you know, refer to as the modern day mantra that everyone quotes from Einstein. The, the problems we have cannot be solved with the same level of thinking that created them. So I started to think to myself, you know, well, if our thinking, as you referred to the Thomas Kuhn uh, book on the scientific revolutions and how that changes the world, it changes our thinking, that if our thinking is what is shaping our experience, the way we view the world, and therefore our actions and attempt at solutions to problems, then I had the question, what is shaping our thinking? And this gets back to your question now, what is the old world thinking? Because what I realized is that thinking does place, does take place as a system. So when you look at this paradigm shift that we're undergoing now in science that we have been, as you know, and, and your shows are all about this in your book, and your own thinking, Philip, that we've, we're undergoing this shift from a matter-based worldview to a mind-based worldview. Why don't you tell us what a matter-based worldview is? Okay. Well, the matter-based worldview, which began around uh, the beginning of classical science, 17th century science, basically... You can imagine that, you know, these scientists were looking around, <laughs> looking out at the world. And when you look in the physical dimension to try to make sense of things, to try to make order of things, in the physical dimension of reality, we look separate. Objects look separate from us. It appears as if there's an objective reality out there. Now, the other thing that was going on at the time was that they wanted to have some kind of a demarcation between the church and science. So they declared only physical matter is real. So this was the basis, the, the assumption that became the basis of that scientific worldview. And the study of the nature of reality or, you know, fundamentally the science of physics. Now, as you know, I'm not a scientist, but I look into these things yeah. <laughs> very deeply for many years. So when you, when you think about, well, how do you, how did that influence our thinking? How did that influence our world? That what we lovingly call the old world view that scientific materialism, as it's often referred to, as you often say on your shows, that, you know, retaking the world, looking at it like a giant machine, that you could, if you could reduce it to its constituent parts, figure out how the parts work together, what they're made of, we could predict and control nature. And that was really the essence of it. I think you would agree with that rendition I just gave, right, the simplistic. Right. Hmm? right, and I think it's in, I think it's important here f 
for the listeners to understand that we're talking about something that is fundamental to how we interact in the world, how we, how, how we react to the world, and how we perceive ourselves and other people and nature. This is, this is a assumption that's deeply ingrained. We, we treat the world we see as something outside of us, as something independent, as Diane said, as a machine. And this, this way of, of thinking uh, really would really start, as Diane said, with Newton and, and, and the early scientists. In my mind, it, it was something that those folks believe was necessary in order to study the world. And, exactly. Right. right. And, and now, but, but, but then something happened. Well, let me just say something about, Philip, how that has influenced our thinking. Because when you realize, as you said, and very importantly, that this is fundamental. It's like this is in the background of our whole culture, of the human culture society, at least in, at least in the Western world and really in, <laughs> in a lot of the world today, too. And well, how, how did it influence us? Well, you think about it. First of all, in the physical, we look separate and we look different. So, you know, really, this is for, uh, uh, has validity in life when you look at it. Okay, someone looks black, someone looks white, someone looks yellow, someone looks red. And already you have a separation consciousness going on. Okay, so this is in a cultural way, but just in a very daily, um, you know, how do I get through the day today? How do I accomplish what I want to accomplish? This has taught us to think linearly and to literally be constrained by time. And to, I think, Philip, really importantly, to not relate to the interconnectedness of ourselves to one another and of ourselves to the earth, to the earth and everything natural. So when you look at what's going on in the world today and you look at, for example, uh, this climate change question. Now, why is that even a question? You know, when you look underneath and you think, okay, you know, the politics of it and the corporate interests and the lobbyists and all that, you know, and we want to keep our fossil fuels in place. I'm not saying we do. <laughs> I'm saying they do. And, and so you have the whole, that whole uh, political corporate, structure of it but that's topical because if we as you know coming to a stage a state of evolution right now when people awaken to the fact that the earth is also a living entity we're in a in a universe where everything has you know, it, 
it's alive with consciousness, you would no longer have this separation thing going on between you and and the earth. You would realize the symbiotic nature and you wouldn't do something to harm what is the host of your own body, the host of your own life. So this sounds a little esoteric, but this is very real of how this old worldview has influenced us. Yeah, now let me let me add something here that, that I want to emphasize, and that is the viewpoint that we are separate creatures, that the world is a machine, I really think right now is the default worldview. And by default, I mean that when you're not thinking about it, it comes naturally. And, and, and I think there's two reasons why that's the case. First of all, it's what everyone else thinks, and we tend to go with the flow. We tend to, it's peer pressure uh, sort of maximized. Because everyone else is thinking that way, that's the way we think. And to be specific, the thought leaders think that way. The thought leaders being, to me, the leading scientists, television commentators, authors, professors. The, but it leads to a, an identity crisis or a conflict in our minds because, as you're saying, there's so much pulling us towards unity. There's so much pulling us towards oneness. And, and, your, and your point about oneness with nature, we all feel part of the world. And during these moments of inspiration or, or of uh, meditation, we, we feel something more powerful than, than, than dust or, or, or merely uh, bits of matter. And so... So I think that that is ultimately driving this revolution or this evolution, which is that after you th start thinking about it, the old way starts toppling over. This, this default mechanical perspective starts toppling over, and we're going to start, I hope, being in tune with what reality is all about. Yes, exactly. And it is coming about right now. And I want to address something that you just said, Philip, about this, because, you know, how I think of it is that uh, it isn't that people are choosing it. It's that we haven't made yet the distinction, and of course, as you know, that this is the, the heart of the matter of my work in quantum thinking, is to make the distinction and which people recognize. Because as you say, when you get, it, you know, this view, this very limited view, it's not that it's not valid, that view of physical nature, and we know so much genius came from Newton and, and the scientists of the time and gave rise to the industrial age. But we're in a time now where it has reached the limit of effectiveness. And I would say, more importantly, you know, we've made other discoveries. We know, we'll get to that in a second about the quantum worldview, but the we we're out of sync with the nature of nature so if the nature of nature is we're in a universe of whole systems 
multidimensional. Uh, there are, you know, so many dimensions of life for, for ordinary human life every day. We know there are subtle energy fields. There is what you're talking about, that spiritual, the sense of the sacred, uh, the cosmic operating principles that are operating and discoverable by scientists throughout nature and therefore in you and me. And so when if we stay in this very limited old worldview way of thinking, it is breaking down right now. And that's what we're seeing. And so when that happens, and I, you know, I say, well, what we're going to evolve. What's it going to be? Crisis awakening or conscious awakening? Of course, I'm on this campaign to get it. Let, let's, we know we have to go to this leap in consciousness and thinking, let's start to think from the more accurate and up-to-date quantum worldview so that we can be more effectively and, uh, you know, in sync with the nature of nature. So, but what I wanted to address what you said, Philip, I don't, it's not that people even realize they're thinking that way. It's almost like uh, it's, it's a state of un, it's a state of unawareness. So, and everyone else is picking up on it. Now, what we don't realize when we're not in an awakened kind of a thinking state is that some of the very basic fundamental things that you know. E equals MC squared. What we focus on, we energize and we add mass to. So when you begin to see that we, another example, that we exist in fields, because you said, well, everybody jumps on the bandwagon. Well, when you're quantum thinking, you realize that we exist in non-local mind fields we're connected through these invisible fields of you know no scientist ever agrees exactly what what it is uh i like to call it you know <laughs> consciousness energy awareness feel but these fields of intelligence okay. This is Philip Mirton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. We're talking with Diane Collins, the author of Do You Quantum Think? New Thinking That Will Rock Your World. And we're talking about replacing the old way of thinking with the new way of thinking. Okay, and so to summarize, the old way of thinking is the mechanical way of thinking. It's a world of separateness. It's a world of distinctions between us and the world. It, it's, a, it's a world of categories. But something happened in the early 20th century that s deeply affected or should deeply affect our thinking, Diane. And, and why don't you, I, I know that you've done a lot, this is what your book is about, but most folks don't understand how quantum thinking could possibly or, or quantum theory could possibly affect or or even be relevant to how we think and so where's the connection between quantum theory and how we should change our mindset 
Well, I think the main, uh, there were a few discoveries that we could uh, talk about, but I think one of the main ones is really has to do with Heisenberg's <laughs> uncertainty principle, which really leads to this quantum idea of the observer effect. And this has everything to do with our connection, even though it appears invisible to us. You know, it's in the non-material, let's say, state or uh, that aspect of life. So what did that mean? Is that we are the ones always influencing what we're observing. And, you know, this is that famous experiment where he realized he could not measure the velocity and the location of a particle at the same time, which is just ordinary logic to me, because right. <laughs> if something is always moving, then how do you get the location? So you can, you can measure the movement of it, but not it's not static, so you can't get it at the same time. I mean, that just makes sense, that uncertainty. But then the greater discovery was that the instrument of observation was also having an effect on that which was being observed. Now, what I do is I take this and say, well, how could that influence our thinking? Right? right? If the old world view influenced us by seeing ourselves as separate and we'd have to push or pull on circumstances to get something to happen, you know, and that's kind of how we live our life. We don't realize the power of our own mind, the power of intent on circumstances. It's all physical, you know, and getting overwhelmed because there's so much uh, complexity going on in daily life today and choice. But when you get to this observer effect, it's really good news because you realize, wait a minute, as a human observer, what I bring to my observation, my assumptions, my conclusions, my so-called truths that I live with in my own awareness is shaping my relationship with you right now, my conversation with you right now. And this is very real. When you realize that there are, for ordinary everyday reality, there are no absolutes because nothing is fixed and static. Everything is energy in flux, formed by intelligence. And this is the big discovery. Right, right. And I want to emphasize something here that is really exciting. And that is, it all starts off with this scientific experiment, really a thought experiment, as Diane said. And there's all sorts of ways to express it. And there's that old adage, nobody really understands quantum theory. Um, ex except for maybe uh, Richard Feynman or something. But, but, but the point is, is that what the physicists discovered was that the root of reality are not little things with an independent existence, an independent existence from the mind or from consciousness. That, as Diane said, the observer created reality 
is is the truth now this term or this phrase observer created reality is is of course one of the main mantras as you would say of the new age and it's been interpreted in all sorts of different ways but but I think we are saying something much more radical here than this old thing about well your attitude determines uh, reality it really it really isn't metaphorical <laughs> Because At all. It's not no. metaphor it's not metaphorical. It's not just yes, yeah, important having a good attitude. And it's important, you know, uh, how how you react to your surroundings and your circumstances. But if quantum theory is correct, which it has to be, then we are indeed creating the physical world in a, in, in in some way that a lot of people don't really understand yet and that's what is exciting particularly when you translate that point to the medical profession now we're not quite there yet but but this is where things like the placebo effect and faith healing and all these alternative cures start coming into place how are these things possible unless the mind is intimately connected to the body or maybe they're the same thing yeah the same thing now this is really important because now you can see how if you are brought up in in a call I'll call it a container you know a context or a container of thinking that doesn't allow for the interconnectedness of mind it's not even even the word interconnected separates it a little bit too much right? right but if you're brought up in that and then you that of course we come up with all these things that due to a lack of understanding of what you're saying is that consciousness is affecting our body, it's affecting our circumstances, it's holding a reality in place all the time, collectively, individually. And so, but if you're brought up in the old worldview thinking, you can't allow for that because you're not thinking in a context that is expansive enough to hold that fact in place. So what you're saying is like, in, you, you know, you think about the other early, you know, the Alan aspect experiment, you know, where in the 1982, I think where the discoveries and they have been going, you know, more and more since then, that there's an instantaneous connection and that it has to do with... Um, it, as you say, it's non-material. It's not about a particle. It's about a connection. And so if you have to use a metaphor, I think, Philip, to be able to understand this is to, is to really look at the Internet, right. which is really, a, a, I think of as, you know, we extend our, our, the qualities of our own nature into the objective world, and that reflects back to us. So when you look at the Internet, where does it exist? It doesn't really. It's it doesn't exist in the physical sense. Uh, the 
the thing, you know, the equipment that enables the connection, like our brain enables connections, but the actual intelligence of it, it's all about what connects with what, you know, where are you clicking? Where are you putting your, you know, your finger on to, to click into what reality? So when you think of it this way, if you can start to expand the context from which you think, the foundation to include these principles, then as you say, the placebo effect doesn't even make sense in a quantum reality because it's just a fact of life that your thinking in the form of your intent, your beliefs, you know, how you're holding the reality is affecting your body, is affecting your health. I mean, this is just known. So, right? Why right. would we even need the placebo? Right. We don't right. need that terminology. Right. It's That's... really it's really outdated. Right. That's a really good point. This is Philip Mirton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. We're speaking with Diane Collins, author of Do You Quantum Think, about how the Internet is really a metaphor for the matrix of the mind. And it, it, it strikes me, Diane, on this internet metaphor, which I think is a really good one that's in your book, I believe, is there's so many young folks, and, and, I, and by the way, my definition of young is very broad, uh, but there's a lot of folks, how many people are walking around with their cell phone in their hand, in their pocket, looking at it, I count, it's, it's at least 50% of all people. And if you're under the age of, say, 20, it's probably a higher percentage. I feel as if they're doing it because they feel connected to their friends. Yeah. And that's the best thing. I, I mean, I think I figured it out. It's like instead of having your friend next to you talking to them, you, you feel they feel connected to their network on the Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, whatever. And I think that it's it's really an amazing fact about how this web that that has been created by the internet is sort of replacing sort of one-on-one -on -one togetherness, but maybe it's because it, it gives us this greater sense of 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 friendship or of unity. It's and I haven't completely figured out, but the point being that that to me it explains why many folks can't put that that PDA down because it's connecting them with other people. And and it's on a different level, but it really is an amazing feature of our modern world. It is. And it's a greater depth than, you know, I like to think of it as a both and, you know, part of <laughs> going from the old worldview to new worldview thinking is going from the either or of, you know, people say today, oh, it's, you know, keeping people from each other and from their families and we have to get physically together. Well, that's true. So let's think of it as the both and, because I think what you're saying gives it really, it's a, it's a, it's a profound leap in evolution for us to be connected this way. And I think you're absolutely, uh, you know, just right on about that where 
when you think about what it's like to grow up in the world and you start to, most people do, whether they articulate it or voice it or not, you wonder, it's you know natural to a human being. What am I doing here? Do I belong? Do I fit in? And especially when, you know, in your earlier years in life and even later, sometimes it continues. But, and you start to realize that you have an experience of belonging, as you're saying, Philip, and belonging to something that's greater than can even be possible in the physical alone. So right. remember, I'm talking in a both and. Right. So I'm saying, of course, the physical, you know, touching the physical is important. But there is a connectiveness, even, you know, my mother, who is 90, wow. and very youthful at age 90. That's great. And uh, she's living alone right now. And in the evening, she likes playing Texas Hold'em. <laughs> She's adorable, really. And so, but, you know, one of the things she likes about it, to, to give a real example to your point, is that she chats with the other players. Wow. They connect. So she doesn't know who they are, but there is this great yearning for us to be in the acknowledgement of our connectedness to one another. And I think, you know, I mean, it's obvious and people get upset when you start going, I do the same thing because I love looking and I love, you know, all of that multidimensionality that your, your cell phone or your tablet makes possible. And so I think it's, Rather than trying to avoid it, it, that let's just include it and give it with that understanding that you just gave to everyone well, about that we, we're yearning for that connection now. It's just amazing, and I, I have a, I have tried to understand why so many people stare at their cell phones. And and why and why they are so pervasive, other than being really cool gadgets, which they are, and there's no doubt that that we all need one. But there is something else at work, and I do think it it is this connectedness to this greater whole. Now, in your in your book, you have this this saying, which I think crystallizes a lot of of your thinking on the topic which is uh, the old, in the old worldview, circumstances rule. In the new worldview, intent rules. And I'd like to have you distinguish those two because I think that a lot of people, we've heard a lot about intent. And I, I think I would like to hear from your perspective how you see that, that contrast between old worldview, new worldview, with the circumstances and the intent. So why don't you speak to that for a moment? Okay, good. And this really goes goes right to the point of the conversation that we're in about a revolution in thinking that's necessary right now and how the paradigm, the scientific paradigm affects thinking. Because the old worldview, if you translate 
translate matter as circumstances, right? Right. Because it's circumstances. But it can also be, you know, the think the thoughts you have can also be circumstances. But right. let's just take circumstances in your life, a situation, right. whatever that is. Or things that you can't. So control. you look at the yeah. old world view that said all that matter is comprised of solid objects. In order to have anything happen, you have to push or pull on it, right? right. Put a force on it. And so it's kind of like there. There's nothing you can do about it except push or pull on the circumstances right, that's the or that's manipulate it. your way around it. Right, right. Or try to change it somehow. Right, right, right. like a victim of circumstances. Exactly. A victim of, of that right. solid matter that is unchangeable, absolute, and nothing you can do about it. Right. Whereas from a new world view, from a quantum world view, where everything is energy in flux and formed by intelligence, consciousness-based, well, what is the dynamic of creation for ordinary human life? And that is our intent, because it goes back to that Heisenberg experiment. It's like what you have, where you have your focus and the assumptions you're bringing to it, because there is, as you said, not a metaphorical connection, an actual connection, because we, I would say it this way, exist in fields. I now am calling it the thoughtosphere. I don't use that term in my book, <laughs> but the mind field, right? Right. Or I say the thoughtosphere because many of the thoughts we have, they're not even our own. They're just, as I like to say very simply, visiting from the thoughtosphere. You know, they're passing by and we're latching on to it as if, wow, why did I have that thought? I don't want that thought. And so you don't have to identify with every thought that comes into your uh, mind field. But And when you start to make these distinctions and realize that you can, A, Get a new relationship to those thoughts that are entering the field of your mind and not have to own them, nor do you have to identify with them in any way, because as I said, we need to make, be able to distinguish between thoughts that you consciously initiate and thoughts that are visiting you from the realm, because we are interconnected, then you begin to get more command over your state and therefore over your life because new worldview intent rules. You can interrupt any of these automatic thought patterns, thought habits, realize that if you were truly at conscious choice, you would not be choosing that thought Okay, great. So now you've got a new relationship with that. What then, then how do I want to experience? What do I want to experience now? That's where creating your intent consciously comes in. Because when you begin to learn that, that there are natural faculties of mind, not psychological, like, you know, I like what you said before, because you made the point about this is much, much bigger than just saying, 
you know, I've got a new attitude because attitude is really a psychological term. And we're really talking about ontological, which is, you know, a big philosophical word for the nature of being. So when you start to look at, oh, well, what are the faculties of mind that I can work with? The power of intent, the ability to to use your intuition, the ability to trans to work with subtle energy, to tune into it, to transmute it, to understand resonance and how that works, to manifest how you hold things in your that your intent literally creates a resonance and begins to it's not new age hooey, but it does begin to. Uh, attract there is a sympathetic resonance and that resonance is going to come about as a result of your intent and this is well, let me is try clear. to put this let me try to put this in different words and make it really down to earth and I may not be exactly aligned with where with what you said but but another way to put this is that we we clearly have control at least theoretically, over over our thoughts and our inner states. Now, emotions are hard to control. We know that, but there are ways to control your emotions, or at least to try to control your emotions. But then we're also influenced by the big, wide world of other people, other ideas, i.e. through television, through our parents, through our teachers, and our friends, to name the big ones. And it's, it's these other sources that we get competing thoughts and we get ideas that, that conflict, I think, with, uh, with what we want to do, with our own intent. And a lot of what I'm about is going away for a while, and it could just be for a couple hours by yourself, and figure out what you really want to do with your life. <laughs> with you and write your own story because this is this is where you have to form as diane says your own intent but you've got to take control and and i will tell you that the older somebody gets i think the more important this becomes because you realize that you only have one life to lead and this is this is to me why it's so important to face this fundamental question here to to be part of this revolution and and maybe you're not part of the revolution but but at least think about becoming part of it this is philip mirton this is conversations beyond science and religion we're speaking with diane collins the founder of quantum thinking about the new thought revolution that we believe is underway now you mentioned just bef- just a couple minutes ago, Diane, about you called it, I think New Age Hooey, and I believe a lot of people have been sort of confronted with some of these ideas through things like the book The Secret and maybe on the Oprah Winfrey Show, and you know New Age sort of has a bad uh, connotation. To, uh, know a bad reputation a little bit because of a lot of things associated with the new age maybe crystals or something but I but can you distinguish what 
what you're about, what new thought is about, the quantum thinking from what some folks might believe is new age. Is there a, is there a difference? Well, I think there, you know, I, I, I can't really define what new, you know, I wouldn't want to attempt to say what new, what new age I is, but I think that, uh, it does indicate the multidimensional reality that we have not been accustomed to in our educational system because of this old worldview, that scientific materialist materialism paradigm where only matter is real, then we're not learning about the faculties of mind. We're not learning about uh, subtle energy fields and how, you know, how can we uh, approach our well-being, our own health through something more fundamental to the physical, which is, you know, the spiritual, the energetic realm. Because we don't, as, as I was saying, we don't, we're not thinking as a society yet. I'm saying it's changing now. <laughs> we're working on it, right, right Philip? Yeah, that we don't have that context, that container big enough. So our whole educational system, anything that has that goes outside of that, that even says thought creates reality or that crystals have an energetic effect on things and properties that, you know, influence us or any of these things that people would categorize as new age, there isn't, uh, you know, yet it's becoming, I don't want to say there isn't, a societal paradigm, a way of thinking that is in enough in the society to realize that these things are real. Now, the difference between quantum thinking, let's say, and some of these things is that, as I like to say, quantum thinking is not positive thinking. So I think some of the things about uh, the secret, for example, that you know, when you say thought creates reality, it, it it's not a deep enough uh, understanding of it because people think, oh, well, if I have a thought of tomorrow, I'll have a million dollars, I'll win the lottery. Well, right. why didn't it happen if, right. you know, intent is the creative factor? Because it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Posit Quantum thinking is not positive thinking. Quantum thinking, here's the main difference. Quantum thinking is based in this, the science, as I like to say, the edge of what we know today, because everything is always evolving. So this is not the end all be all, I'm sure, of science. But if you take into consideration that there is no fixed and static reality, there are no absolutes outside of what anyone I like to give the caveat, whatever you think of as divine, but just for ordinary, for us, there are no absolutes in the terms of something being fixed and static for all time. So then what's creating reality? Context. Reality is context dependent. How you experience even your emotions is dependent on the meaning you give to your thoughts gives rise to an emotion.
So it's not like you control your emotion, but your mind has great power. And when you can make your mind your friend, have gain command, not control, command over your relationship with your mind and your thinking, you realize that the difference between reality is context dependent and I can you know, relate to my thought in a new way, not own that thought I don't want. But you also can't believe underneath that it's the truth. And this is where there is a discrepancy, why positive thinking doesn't work. As I like to say, it's nice to have positive thoughts. But if you have a positive thought, you know, that's covering up a negative conclusion a negative absolute uh, assumption you've made about yourself. This is how it usually comes on. Like, I can never have, uh, you know, be that successful because I don't have enough education. Let's say you have that thought. And that's a circumstantially based thought, right? Mm -hmm. I don't have enough education. In this world, you have to have X amount of education. Therefore, I can never be that successful. Well, maybe younger people don't think that way anymore, but I'm just using it as an example. That, And then you say, but I'm going to be the most successful uh, real estate investor who ever lived, you know, then you, but you're covering up that underneath, you never really, you have a belief that you're not going to be successful. That's positive thinking. Right, right. And I think this is right. not quantum thinking. Right. Quantum yeah. thinking is understanding the quantum principles that are fundamental, that the uncertainty principle, that reality is observer created, that that means according to the context that you view life from, that you choose to view life from, is how it will be shaped. It is what you will resonate. It is what you will emanate. And it doesn't mean that circumstances aren't real and valid. They are. But this is all about, we said before, connection. It's how are you related to the circumstances? Right. Not as the absolute truth, but right. just as something that you can create a different relationship with and get a different result. Right. I like to put, you know, a different way to put it would be that you you become part of the flow. You be, you understand that you're a drop in the ocean and you're part of the ocean at the same time. You're the ocean and the drop. It becomes part of your way of 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 living. And maybe the next book should be called Quantum Living and not just Quantum Thinking because I do believe you've got to start off with the thinking. You've got to get your mindset right you gotta get your worldview in order but but then it becomes part of your being and you're no longer as you said earlier wondering about well why does the placebo effect work why why do fake peel pills sometimes heal people as well as quote-unquote real pills and the reason is is because of the belief or the intent that the person has that the pill will work it's the belief that's controlling the success and and it's not the pill and therefore if you are part of that way of thinking it becomes 
part of your being becomes part of your nature and you become in tune with the world which is a better place to be now there is a, a, a I think there's a common uh, question here that some listeners may have and I have it which is that if you are in an observer created reality however we want to put that term then then doesn't each of us have our own little world Mm. You know, this is really interesting because er the, the real thinkers always have that question, including me. But I'll tell you what else is a synchronicity or is a quantum occurrence, as we call it in our business, is that, you know, when I when I'm on these shows, when I got going on the shows, I often take my you know, I take my book with me and I. I am sit and then before the show, I'll open it to any page because I do live the wisdom of the non-local mind field, right? right? That I know, and I'll say, well, you know, what's the message that I need to focus on here? And this happened to me before we we got on the air, Philip. Is that I opened it, and it opened exactly to this question that you are talking about right now well, not that it wasn't exactly worded that way but it's exactly this well, we'll take credit for because it. it's like that's how it works you know the 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 non-local mind i is it's the intelligence is you know we'll just look in the world is so beyond what is imaginable and I, that it's just incredible. So you're saying, okay, are, that's the, wait, that was the, the line, <clears throat> the exact line now that I think of it, that I opened up to, and it was a quote from one of the, um, a meditation master. And it was a quote in my book that said, you know, each of us lives in a, con in a world according to our own concepts. So it is a paradox what you're saying because everybody always says well how do i know if somebody else's intent is going to be stronger than mine is that kind of the question that you're a asking well i think it's a natural question when you get to observer uh created reality unless there is a big observer in the sky <laughs> right i mean that's that's another that was one of uh, i think that's one of wheeler's i mean that's that's like the ultimate quantum question is then who's observing the universe yeah and, and i right. don't and i don't want to get too uh how can i say this metaphysical here but but i think that that's something that we have to deal with now my own answer to the question is that is that we are is that we are united at the core that there is a universal mind and that we all are pointing towards a better world on earth and put simply one of the features of such a world would be a thing called peace which which is which is you know one of these ideal utopian dreams but but it's it's possible to to have an individual intent but the overriding intent is sort of it's, it's sort of the trajectory of the planet earth 
you know, I, I think that I think in your I think you talk about the Disney ride, the Spaceship Earth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. To me, that's I love that ride, and luckily my daughter did too. Uh, when I when I took her there, we went on like fifteen <laughs> times in a row. But but I always thought that was a that was a nice little miniature metaphor, a sort of, sort of for the trajectory of Spaceship Earth through through time. But in yeah. any event, mm-hmm. but, but in any event, the I evolution look- of how we think. But I agree yeah. with you that. And you see, this is where, as you say, what is quantum quantum thinking is quantum living because you start to live in the both and. Okay, so it's both. We have an individual intent and then there is both some kind of universal intent, as you say, the one mind of which each of us is an expression. And so we have the diversity in the unity. And there can be, you know, I, I do like to study different systems and energy systems. And, you know, the planets do play a role. You know, some people go crazy when you say that. But yeah. all of these things are, are energies. You know, these are, there are, and it's uh, intelligent entities. So there is no reason, I think, not to imagine, not to think that every entity, whether it's micro or macro, has some intelligence that is um, self-organizing intelligence and inherent within it. We, in every aspect of of our world and every as every aspect of the universe because it's just too intelligent of a universe yeah. to not think that it's well, it, well I, I'm sort of rethinking I'm I'm personally rethinking a little bit of astrology I mean we tend to think astrology is such a terrible name because you contrast it with the the mathematical rigor of astronomy and it gets blown away but but like you were but like we were talking before we got on the air if you view the the universe from this different perspective and you call it the quantum uh, thinking perspective i might call it something else but it's the same mind centered perspective and then you look at something like astrology and you start scratching your head and say well Maybe the planets are in tune with something, and that's what astrology is all about. And and so it really opens up a lot of areas of thinking, of study, of, of enchantment that are closed off from us in the mechanical worldview. Now, unfortunately, our our, our time has come to an end, and this always happens. Wow, that was fast, wasn't it? We just scratched the surface, but... But once again, I, Diane, I want to I want to thank you for your time and and for the listener. We have a you know I have a lot of guests on the show, and I love talking about these big these big issues, uh, primarily because not only is it optimistic, but it it's real. This is not just fancy talk. It's not just opt- optimism without a foundation to it. I do think quantum theory sort of unlocked the the key 
to this new worldview. Why? Because it's scientifically based. It's real. It tells us about the world. And I think that with quantum thinking, with this mind-centered worldview, we're going to have a much richer future. I don't know how long it's going to take, Diane, before this permeates uh, modern culture. Uh, my guest last week, from a completely different perspective, she was an Indian mystic, gave, gave her prediction as being three to 30 years for the world enlightenment, which I thought was pretty cool. But, but anyways, uh, Diane, why don't you tell folks again how to find your book and how to find out more about what you're up to with quantum thinking? Okay, thank you. And I really appreciate you having me on. I love our conversation, and I am just thrilled to be with all the listeners because <laughs> I relate through, right, the invisible right. field. I can end beyond time, so... <laughs> I do feel very connected to everyone listening. Um, my website is diannecollins.com. It's Diane spelled with two N's, D-I-A-N-N-E-C-O-L-L-I-N-S.com. And uh, what I'm, you know, I really am, <laughs> I'm on a campaign for a quantum thinking world. Well, that's great. And once again, Diane, it's always a pleasure talking to you. This is Philip Mirton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. You've been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion with Philip Mirton. To find out more about Philip and his new book, The Heaven at the End of Science, visit heavenattheendofscience.com. 